You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show once again. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet. My middle name is Ashley. It's not my wife's name. I don't have a joint Facebook account. In fact, I don't have a Facebook account anymore at all. And I was reminded last night that I am tickled to not be on Facebook. I had a friend of mine from Montana, Jeff Jorgensen, send a group text out to Micah Hirschberger, who I had on this program this past Saturday. It was a great episode. You should go back and check that out. J.D. Hall and Discernment Blogs featuring Micah Hirschberger, August 14th, 2021, episode 126 of season three. This is episode 129 of season three, by the way, episode 194. We're almost to 200 episodes for the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, so stay tuned. But Jeff Jorgensen, he sends out this text of a story from Breitbart.com. The headline reads, Taliban trolls Facebook on freedom of speech and censorship. Taliban leaders have made it clear they are in no mood for a lecture from the West on the issue of free speech. Now that the Taliban has taken control of Afghanistan, questions have erupted over how much authority the notoriously totalitarian government will extend over its populace. Will women have rights or be subjugated like before? Will Christians have rights or be relegated to second-class status? Will this be a peaceful transition of power or one marked by bloodshed? When asked if the newfound government will make room for free speech, a spokesman for the Taliban pointed out the hypocrisy of demanding free speech while American companies like Facebook and Twitter engage in censorship. Quote, this question should be asked to those people who are claiming to be promoters of freedom of speech who do not allow publication of all information and news, end quote, the spokesman said. Quote, I can ask Facebook. This question should be asked to them, end quote. On Tuesday, Facebook announced that it will continue its ban on the Taliban promotion of content or messages on its platform, including Instagram and WhatsApp. Quote, the Taliban is sanctioned as a terrorist organization under U.S. law, and we have banned them from our services under our dangerous organization policies, end quote. A Facebook spokesperson said, quote, We also have a dedicated team of Afghanistan experts who are native Dari and Pashto speakers and have knowledge of local context, helping to identify and alert us to emerging issues on the platform, end quote. The spokesperson added, Facebook has banned the Taliban for several years and has routinely moderated or removed accounts that are operated by Taliban leaders. Though the ban includes Facebook subsidiary WhatsApp, removing Taliban content on the platform has proven trickier due to encrypted communications. Sure. Right. Funny thing, I did not expect to agree with the Taliban on anything, but here we are. Politics and social media censorship apparently make for strange bedfellows, as the saying goes. But today is Wednesday, August 18th, 2021. And I want to take a break from the geopolitical 
nonsense surrounding Afghanistan. You can take a look at and listen to the previous two episodes of this podcast if you want to get more thoughts on the Afghanistan situation. I will have more to say in coming days and weeks because this is not going away anytime soon. The implications of what Biden has done are not going away anytime soon. There is more to be said and more to analyze, and we do need to grapple with this. We should have been paying better attention as Americans with the ability to vote with men and women. How many tens of thousands of our countrymen and our allies' countrymen going overseas to serve in harm's way in Afghanistan, we should have been paying better attention and we should have been grappling with these things. And I think there are some important lessons to learn, but all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. So we're going to change gears and we're going to talk about something a little lighter hearted that is also important. And we're going to talk about the movie that I watched with my kiddos last night, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Now, this is a funny movie to watch. It's funny in and of itself, but it's funny for my family to watch because here we are, six boys. I have six sons, Josiah, Elihu, Solomon, Daniel, Enoch, and John, all Bible names. We don't yet know what baby number eight is going to be or is, whether this is a seventh son or whether this is a second daughter. God knows. We'll find out here in several weeks, Lord willing. But any way you slice it, in the meantime, I have six sons and I have a daughter. And so this movie is just one more, one more boy in this family, a family of seven brothers living in Oregon in 1850, out in the mountains on this ranch. Their parents have both passed away. It's just them fending for themselves. And you can about imagine how that would go. Seven boys raising themselves, raising one another, raising all kinds of trouble. And so that's the plot, right? These seven brothers need to find themselves some wives. And having grown up the way that they have, having raised themselves out in the wilderness as they have, how exactly do they approach this question of how to find a wife? Well, they approach it in a very direct, practical, no-nonsense sort of a way. The plot storyline on IMDb reads as follows. Adam, the eldest of seven brothers, goes to town to get a wife. He convinces Millie to marry him that same day. Not before chores, by the way. My boys thought that was funny. He comes up and tells her he likes her cooking and he thinks she's pretty. And does she want to marry him? And she thinks about it for a moment. She's milking a cow. He's standing and leaning over the cow, talking to her. And she says, let me finish my chores first. <laughs> they return, Adam and Millie, to his backwoods home. Only then does she, Millie, 
discover he has six brothers, all living in his cabin. Millie sets out to reform the uncouth siblings who are anxious to get wives of their own. Then, after reading about the Roman capture of the Sabine or Sabine or Sabin women, Adam develops an inspired solution to his brother's loneliness. So that is the plot summary of this film. And before I go further into it, I just want to reiterate this point. I think that watching movies like this is important to having a well-rounded education. You know, some very conservative homeschool families, homeschool parents, try to keep their kids away from movies and TV because they think that movies and television necessarily always have a corrosive influence on the life of the mind and the cultivation of good character. And I did read Amusing Ourselves to Death, this great book written in the, I believe, 1980s, if memory serves. And I do agree more or less with the premise of the book. I think that it has been to our collective detriment that as a culture we've become very visual and not quite as literary as previous generations were before the invention of the radio and television. These talking pictures don't necessarily make us smarter. Sometimes they make us dumber. And we're thinking in very visual, superficial terms. We think in pictures. We think in images. And images can be very misleading, particularly in a day and age where Photoshop and deepfakes give the wrong impression. Selective editing of images can give the wrong impression. Earlier generations of Americans thought in arguments. They thought in book form. Instead of thinking in 30-second sound bites, they thought in terms of books that they had read. And earlier colonial Americans, pre-revolution, pre-war for independence, thought about the political questions of their day in a very deep and meaningful way. They thought about what was at stake, not only in light of what the Bible said, but also in light of political philosophy that they were reading that was coming over the boat, coming over on the boat, coming over the ocean to the colonies from the old world. And so I think that Neil Postman's book is a good one to read. I think you can get carried away and watch movies all the time and TV all the time, and that's not so good. But I think that watching movies now is part of how we stay current with what's going on in culture. And if we do both, instead of either or, instead of false dichotomies, if we are reading books and we're reading them in a deep and meaningful way, trying to understand what the author's intention is, what is the symbolic message that's being communicated, and also what at face value is being said. And is that true? And is that good? And is that helpful? And is that beautiful? Or does it undermine and erode the true, the good, and the beautiful? We can also watch movies that way. And we can enjoy movies. And we shouldn't just 
passively receive. We should be actively engaging in the worldview presented to us through the TV screen, through the movie screen. So all of that said, as a way of cultivating worldview, broadening the horizons of my children, helping them to understand life in richer, more colorful detail, we watch movies. And I try to expose them when I'm watching a movie with them. I want to have them watch something that we can talk about, that we can think about, that we can quote, that we can reference, that we can use to broaden our horizons for God's glory and for the benefit of one another so that we're more well-rounded people. And that's what we did last night. We watched Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. It's just the next in a long series of musicals that we've been watching in recent months. I think musicals are good to watch because the suspension of disbelief makes it more apparent in some sense that this is a work of fiction. This is not real life. Sometimes when movies are too real, it can be hard to look at them critically and remember that this is somebody's worldview going into the writing of this, into the scripting of this, into the acting of this. A musical, it's more obvious that, hey, this is not real life because in real life, most people don't go around breaking into song randomly in the course of daily events. Song and dance, just like that, it's not so normal. Now, there is an exception, and my wife points this out. She was greatly amused when she started dating me, and then we get engaged, then we get married. She noticed that I sometimes will just break into song briefly. I don't break into a whole song, and I don't dance when I break into song, but sometimes I just break into a song because some line from a song I know just came to mind as we were talking, as somebody said something that reminded me of a line from that song. And as quick as I pick it up, I might be done with it until I have amused myself and maybe slightly amused my wife, even though she tries to hide her amusement more often than not. When Lauren started going to family reunions with me on the mullet side, she noticed that that actually is kind of a family thing for us. We, as a family, break into song, whether that's hymns, whether that's songs from a musical, whether that's pop culture, uh, music, what have you. Somebody will say a line from a song or it sounds like a line from a song and the next thing you know, he's singing and now she's singing and he's singing and she's singing and, and now we're all singing just like that. And again, just like me, apparently this is a family thing that I inherited. Maybe it's in my DNA because I didn't grow up in close proximity to my uncles and aunts and cousins and grandparents. Actually, I grew up very distant. My mom didn't want me to have anything to do with them. And yet, somehow, some way, this is just in my genetics, apparently. Because they do it, and I'm like, hey, I, I do that too. You do that? Not everybody does that. But we watched this movie last night. My kids thought it was hilarious. 
that these brothers are just absolutely devoid of manners, wild and crazy. And I had to point out to them a couple of times. I said, hey, you think it's funny and ridiculous and absurd how bad their manners are, how they're climbing over the table, how they're breaking into a knockdown drag out fight at the drop of a hat. You think it's funny just how poor their manners are. This right here, this movie is a good story to help you see the importance of developing good manners. You need to have good manners. You need to be self-controlled. You need to consider the people around you. And when the time comes someday that you are looking for a bride, part of how you are going to prove your value and your worth to her is in having good manners and not being unwashed heathen who haven't bathed or combed their hair or cut their hair or washed their clothes since who knows when. Part of how you're going to win the heart of some sweet gal is by proving that you can take care of yourself at least. How are you going to take care of a wife if you can't even take care of yourself? And are you going to love her well and provide for her well and protect her well if you're not even doing your due diligence where your own self is concerned? And yet, the funny thing is, there is something else at work in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. These towns boys, the more refined gentlemen from town who are courting all of the same girls that these Pontipi brothers have an interest in, they are a little bit too polished. They're a little bit too tame. They're a little bit too polite. And they're not as real. And they're not as attractive, truth be told, to these young ladies who are smitten very quickly with the Pontipi brothers, once they clean up, once they, with the help of their sister-in-law, Millie, once they clean up and put on some nice-looking shirts and slacks, once they comb their hair and cut their hair and wash their faces and learn some manners and learn how to sing and dance, yeah, sure. Once they figure that out and they come to town for a barn raising, those girls, those girls are interested and very interested because there is such a thing as being too wild and crazy. Absolutely. But there's also such a thing as being too tame, too reserved, too bottled up. And that also can be a hazard when it comes to protecting, providing for, loving well. You can go too far in the direction of being self-controlled to where it's not genuine and it's obvious that you're hiding something. Now, these young men, they need to learn how to temper their carefree, wild tendencies. They need to temper that strength and lust for life. But those towns boys, they need to figure out how to be a little bit more genuine. They're not genuine. They're not believable. They're not credible. The Pontipi brothers are credible because what you see is what you get. This is who I am. 
This is what I'm about. And even when I'm being self-controlled, you're going to see that I am <laughs> trying to be self-controlled here. I'm trying to listen to what my sister-in-law, Millie, told me about not getting into fights all the time. Trying to listen to that, trying to remember it as these townsboys who feel threatened are trying to pick a fight. But you can see it on my face. You can see it in my body language. It's going to kill me, but I'm going to shake your hand instead of punching your face. It's very funny. Now, before they get reformed, before they are civilized by their sister-in-law, before the cabin and the outbuildings and the property gets a makeover, things being put in their proper place, animals being put in their proper place instead of brought inside. These brothers stand around scratching themselves and looking blank-faced at their sister-in-law when their brother Adam, their eldest brother Adam, brings her home from town. And it's very funny. They're all Bible names to my sons all having Bible names. They thought that that was funny, but it's alphabetical. So they tell this story about how their mom was the one who came up with the idea of them all having Bible names. And they're all in alphabetical order, and you can keep them straight that way, Adam says, because they're alphabetized from oldest to youngest. So you have Adam, Benjamin, Caleb, Daniel, Ephraim, Frank, and Gideon. And Millie is confused at a certain point. She says, I didn't realize that Frank was a Bible name. And one of the other brothers says, oh yeah, he starts, he starts to explain, oh yeah, Frank is short for frankincense. And before he can finish that sentence with a smile on his face, because they all think it's kind of funny that Frank is short for frankincense, Frank, a.k.a. Frankincense Pontipi, takes a crate and smashes it over his brother's face. <laughs> and next thing you know, they're just knocked down, drag out, punching and kicking and rolling around on the floor and just going at it. And meanwhile, the other brothers, not involved in this fight, are walking around and continuing the tour for Millie just nonchalant as can be because you can tell this happens all the time. They're always breaking out into fights with each other. And it's just hilarious. And it was all the more hilarious to watch with my sons because my son Eli, my second-born son, Elihu, is just busting a gut. He just thinks that is the funniest thing ever. So we had a good laugh. But you fast-forward, and Millie gets them cleaned up gets their clothes all washed, gets them to take baths, cut their hair, compliments them, teaches them manners, teaches them how to dance. They go to the barn raising, and they raise a little bit more than just a barn. And they meet these girls, and they see them once, meet them once, dance with them at the barn raising, get into fights with the town's boys, prove their worth and their metal. They try, they try really hard to restrain themselves, but they just can't quite help it because these guys are provoking them and so they all get into fights with the boys from town and whoop them pretty good and all come home 
And then next thing you know, it's going into the winter and they're all depressed. They're all depressed because they are lonely polecats, as they sing, and they are missing their girls. And the funny thing is they've only met them once. And so how much can they really legitimately miss these girls that they've only met once? And yet part of their education is that they've been reading Plutarch, which, again, the funny thing with our TBG homeschool group last year, which unfortunately, sadly, is not going to be continuing on this year, our TBG homeschool group last year, uh, Virginia Rogers was going through Plutarch with all of the older kids going story by story and talking about what is it that Plutarch is describing here and what are some thoughts and let's discuss this, right? Let's have good conversation about this. Let's get our minds engaged. Do we agree with this? What's the moral of the story? Is that true? Is that helpful? What does that mean? What do you guys think? And so then lo and behold, these Pontipi brothers are reading Plutarch. And when Adam, the oldest brother who has a wife, gets to noticing that his brothers are pretty lonely and one of them is thinking about leaving and striking out on his own because maybe that's what it takes to find a wife of his own. Adam gets to talking with them and he starts singing a song about the Sabin women or or Sabine women that the Romans captured because they didn't have enough women. And just like that, they all come up with a plan to ride their sled, ride their sleigh into town and abduct these girls from town that they all took a shining to and bring them back to their cabin 12 miles out of town in the mountains. And so it's funny because they're all gathering rope and they're all you know going from being super depressed to being very excited and enthusiastic. And my boys and my daughter, they're all looking at me like, are they going to go kidnap those girls? And I kind of shrugged and I smiled. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> uh, don't try this at home, kids. This is, you know, again, th- there's only so far you can go with this being good to emulate. Uh, don't go abducting the bride-to-be, literally, maybe, uh, when your day comes. That will not be a good way to win friends and influence people, let me tell you. But they do. They go to town and they abduct these girls. And, of course, that's funny. And it's all humorous and it's a comedy. And they bring them back. And then they intentionally trigger an avalanche when they get through this narrow mountain pass and the snow falls down and blocks the road. And so then the uh, angry fathers and, uh, you know, interested townsboys who were pursuing them heatedly can't get to them. And for that matter, they're not going to be able to get to them until the spring, until everything thaws out. 
So they, they take these girls back to their cabin and they're very pleased with themselves and all these girls are crying, they're sobbing, right? They're, that's why the song is the sobbing, sobbing women instead of Sabine. But all these girls are sobbing because they've been abducted and kidnapped and Millie's there and she is shocked and appalled and very disappointed and I can't even look at you, Adam, she says to her husband, I can't even look at you. I can't believe you would do this. Their families are worried sick about them. And what in the world were you thinking? Why would you think this was a good idea? Well, they get in an argument. He's all upset and offended because he or he thought this was a great, <laughs> he thought this was a great idea. This would solve all the problems. And he gets all upset, saddles up his horse, and he goes up into the mountains a little further to this hunting cabin that they've got. He's going to ride out the winter by himself. And forget all you folks. Forget this wife of his. And she, meanwhile, she's not going to let any of the men sleep inside the house. She's going to chaperone and keep everybody separated. And the girls are going to stay in the house. And these boys are going to stay out there in the barn. You want to act like animals, you can go out there and you can sleep in the barn like animals. That's what you get. So she lays down the law and says, this is how it's going to be. And everybody, you know, pretty well abides by that. Well, then things being such as they are, young men and young women, having had an interest in one another, the girls, by the time the spring comes, and everything thaws out, these girls don't want to go. And Adam, meanwhile, he comes back and... His baby girl, his daughter has been born. He gets the word that she was born while he was away. And he gets to thinking about it and realizes, you know what? If anybody were to ever abduct my daughter the way that we abducted these girls from town, I'd string them up from the nearest tree. I wouldn't tolerate that a bit. And so we've got to take these girls back if you want any hope of being able to keep them as wives someday. Uh, now, of course, in the real world, they would still be facing some pretty stiff consequences. I don't think it would just, you know, settle down like that, except in the comedic turn, this being a make-believe story. The pass having opened up, spring having melted the snow, husbands to be possibly engaged men from town, and the fathers of these girls come in and they're going to get these girls out. And meanwhile, the Pontipi brothers, they're trying to round these girls up and take them home. And the girls don't want to go. And so they're running away and the brothers are trying to capture them again, recapture them and take them home. <laughs> no, you got to go. Oh, we don't want to go. No, you've got to go. And the funniest thing for me was Solomon. He's sitting in the one corner. I'm sitting in the other corner. He yells out, Stockholm Syndrome. And I didn't know that my children knew what Stockholm Syndrome is, but apparently they do. And so then all of my three oldest boys are, yeah, no, this is absolutely Stockholm Syndrome. Which, if you don't know, Stockholm Syndrome is a uh, psychological 
phenomenon in which somebody who is taken captive ends up being uh, they they develop a kind of sympathy and and association with and a loyalty even towards their captor at a certain point. So hostages at a certain point start to sympathize and empathize with the person who has taken them hostage. People who have been kidnapped, taken hostage, uh, they, they, they develop a, a, an attachment for their captor. And so, uh, yeah, you know, it's hard to argue that pretty much is what happened there is they, they, uh, they, they, those girls developed Stockholm syndrome. Uh, <laughs> but it's a good movie. There's a little bit there that maybe you have to unpack for your kids, but it's fun. It's funny. And right now, I mean, I, I think that was a good movie for us to watch because you got to take a break from the geopolitics. You got to take a break from the COVID which we apparently do have officially. We got the call yesterday afternoon. My wife tested positive for COVID. I'm still not really seeing much in the way of symptoms or anything necessarily. I'm not sure that I have any symptoms. I'm not even sure that I have it. Maybe I had the antibodies. Maybe I got it at some point in the past two years and uh, have an immunity. I don't know. But in any event, she's got it. She seems like she's over the worst of it, but she's just really tired really easily winded and uh, a little extra nauseous. So you can be praying for her, but uh, God bless Karen and Ari Herrera for bringing us a meal last night. Thank you, Karen and Ari. That was very, very sweet. Herrera's recently had COVID as well. Omar was in the hospital, but he's back to work now. He's maybe at 80% of his strength from before COVID, still a little bit diminished, but he's getting there. And uh, God bless the Herreras. That was a big encouragement. It was nice to see you guys. I think that's going to be the hardest thing, is just being isolated and uh, quarantining ourselves for the next 10 days or so, uh, unless we do a domino thing where we develop symptoms one after another. Kids maybe have a little bit of symptoms, but not anything too severe. So we're going to watch movies. That's what we're going to do is we're going to work on schoolwork. I'm going to try and do some technical training from home. And we're going to get things caught up. We're going to get things tidied up. We will play games, watch movies, read books, hang out. And we'll take this as an opportunity to grow stronger, to develop our minds and love one another well and serve one another well and we will be stronger on the other end of it god willing by god's grace hopefully check out seven brides for seven brothers it's a good flick it's a fun movie fun movie for the family that's all i've got for this episode as always thank you for listening until next time god bless
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.